This is Jeffrey Thomas, author of Punk Town, and you are listening to Microphones of Madness. Hey everybody, Microphones of Madness, I'm Rodney, over there Steve. Hey. Today we're talking about the second half of Apparitions, Ghosts of Old Edo by Miyuki Miyabe. Uh, edited, or translated rather, by Daniel Huddleston. Uh, first episode we took a look at the first five stories. This episode we're looking at the final four. Uh, Steve, what did you think about the second half? Uh, I liked the second half. I thought it was a stronger. Not, not that I disliked the first half. But uh, I think these were the, the these four stories were probably the strongest of the bunch. You might have actually um, that might have really started with the um, fifth story, the Oni of the Adachi House that we did last week. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you're really getting into like some weird shit. Like it, it was almost like the first four stories were kind of building up to this, and now we're getting into like the the real odd haunting stuff right right and this is the kind of stuff i was expecting when i uh when i started reading this yeah definitely the second half does have uh the stronger stories um you know i we'll we'll talk about it as we go through the list but i thought uh ash kagura was probably the 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 home run of the the book Woman's Head, the first story we're going to talk about, you know, also, you know, knocked it out of the park as well. Um, so, yeah, let's let's just jump right into it with a woman's head. Um, we have, yeah. Oh, sorry, I was just going to give a short synopsis. Oh yeah, like so was I. Synopsis. You go ahead. Uh, well, I mean, this is the story of uh, a young man. Uh, who doesn't speak, he has very nimble fingers, uh, gets a job with a purse maker. Uh, luxury items, that sort of thing. He goes in, finds out that it, he's got it really easy compared to everyone else in the story and every other employee we've seen in the rest of the book. He's got it so easy. You know, sew these dust rags for us, make this thing... You know, help help me clean up the hallway here. He ends up really just looking for work and feeling bad that he's not worked as much as everybody else. Right. He he thinks for a while that he's not good enough, and they've seen it, and they're going to can his ass. Right. And send him back to the old slum row house that he came from. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's also got this creepy feeling that uh, the master and mistress of the house are are watching him yeah they always have like some some like creepy smile whenever they look at him mm-hmm. like hopeful almost yeah wistful and hopeful it, it really it creeps him out i guess it should be said that at the beginning of the story we find out that um he is the only child to a woman who ends up dying of cholera mm-hmm. and he is she worked her fingers to the bone to provide for him and uh, when after she dies, he's taken in by the uh, row house landlord, who is described as an oni of a man. 
um, where, where the thunder itself is afraid of him. And uh, they, he and his wife take um, him in. And after a summer, they basically sell him to this shop. With, right. with like a promise that you feel is an empty promise that, well, you know, they had a, they lost a child um, years ago. He was kidnapped and murdered. Perhaps you'll be adopted as their son. Right. But he gets a feeling that this was said to him just to kind of ease him into like being sold off. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And turns out that that's the truth. That uh, he's he's asked to go and help one of the maids uh, clean a storeroom, and she basically lays it out on the line for him. He's like, "Look, you know, yeah, you. I know you got it easy. I know you're looking for work and stuff, and I'm going to tell you why. Don't tell anybody. I told you why. But this is this is the thing. And what we have." Yeah, they really like you. There's been four candidates so far, and you know you're you're the you're the fourth, and you know they really like you. You do great work. Um, you know, We're going to move you up to actual purses in a minute. Yeah, but exactly. you, but you still get this this overwhelming feeling of some creepiness happening in this whole deal. Something doesn't sit quite right in this whole deal. Right. It's like it's almost too good to be true. And then you have the couple, the owners, like stalking him more or less with these weird smiles on their face. And then everybody's being super nice to him, almost like he's being set up or something. Right. And yeah, turns out once they clean the room, there is a closet. That has a paper screen on the door. And the young man sees a picture of a severed head on the screen. Right. Uh, tries to get the young maid's attention. She doesn't see anything. And no matter, just passing down the hallway, he can see it out of the corner of his eye. Right. And no one else who, who he tries to show it to even subtly acknowledges its presence. Right. And so he's he's thinking, oh, well, this is awful. I'm in this creepy house with these creepy people, and now there's this scary thing that only I can see. And then he goes to sleep and wakes up to a ghost threatening to kill him and take his head. But it's the weirdest ghost because it's only from like the waist down is it solid and it kind of dis disapparates as you get closer to the head of the ghost. Right. So I, I was picturing it as like these semi-translucent legs and then as you get past the waist it just got more and more not like uh, less there but more smoky mm -hmm. so that I mean, I have this really cool image in my mind. <laughs> and with the head on top of this cloud of... Yeah. <laughs> ectoplasm. Um, yeah. And we should also add that we're, we're told from the very beginning that this child is mute. Right. Not that he can't talk, 
because he can. He just feels that if he does talk, bad things will happen. Right. Right. And the only time he's ever uttered a sound before that was in a time of duress. Right. And such as this time. Right. No, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, this time. He calls out, help! It's the second time he's ever spoken. Correct. Because this fucking monster is trying to attack him. Everybody comes in and they start talking about it and then we have the big reveal that, oh, you can see the ghost. You must be our son. Not, we're going to adopt you. You are our son. The child who was kidnapped and murdered all those years ago wasn't kidnapped and murdered. And so, as part of this, they tell us the whole backstory. It's really a cool tale. Yeah. And and the backstory is interesting, but it doesn't really, you know, go into... And it goes into the whys this ghost exists, but and why and why the child is in the situation he's in. Right. But the really cool part is the next night where they set a trap for the ghost. This is the reason why Rodney likes it. Um yeah, the I mean Scooby Doo trap. The Scooby Doo trap. Um he goes out and gets a like a, a squash, puts it on his pillow, you know, cur- curls up under the blanket. The ghost comes in and attacks the squash. To which, uh, some of the young strong men of the shop run in, throw a blanket over it, and beat the fuck out of it. That's <laughs> <laughs> like you do. Yeah. Well, it's. The thing is, like ghosts in uh, in, in Japanese folklore are not like these ectoplasmic entities that we have. They can be harmed. Yeah, they have. It's a, just they really have a substance. It's really fucking hard to do. Right. And in one way, yeah, it makes them it makes them able to overcome it easier. But it also makes them a little more dangerous. A completely insubstantial ghost is not threatening. Even if it tries to bite your head off, it can't actually do it because it's not composed of any type of solid matter. But, you know, this particular ghost is composed of some type of solid matter. And it is able to bite down on the thing. And if you can, if it interacts with a solid object, then a solid object can interact with it. Right. Most notably sticks and they they basically beat it beat it to a ghostly pulp then take the pulp outside and burn it <laughs> for good measure and yeah that's it's it's an interesting way of dealing with a ghost well and then it's a typical like a lot of the the apparitions in this book it the, the ghost itself was formed from a perceived grudge. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's the, the, the woman who eventually became the ghost fell in love with the young master and it was unrequited. Right. And uh, she, I don't know why, but she seemed to feel like she got the short end of the deal when he married uh, the woman he ended up marrying. 
So she kidnapped their son and was going to kill it in revenge, but was got thwarted by uh, Squash. Yep, because Squash is lucky. Squash will save your life. Yep. So eat your squash, kids. Or don't. Don't. Or don't. Put it, in, put it on your Shinto altar. Revere your squash. <laughs> Revere your squash. Uh, the next story, and I'm hopefully I will remember the title correctly, Oni of the Autumn Rain? Uh, yes. In the Autumn Rain. Oh, in the Autumn Rain. I'm sorry. This one was definitely one that you can say... I almost say nothing supernatural happened in this story. Right. It was very, it was eerie, very atmospheric, very moody, and it was a cool story. But I think uh, this is more, the supernatural aspect was more of a metaphor mm-hmm. than um, than an actual apparition, if you will. Except for maybe the very end. Kind of, but even still, you're just kind of like, well, it's still just, it's up in the air. Right. And we start with a, a young lady who's got a, she's got a good job um, at a business. She's met a man who is saying, hey, you know, you should quit this job and go working, you know, for this restaurant. Because they'll, they'll pay, pay you like. Three times as much, or five times as much, or something like that. She's making one Rio a year. The restaurant will pay her five. Yeah. So, so the man says. So she goes to the one person she knows will give her solid advice. Her former employment agent. Right. There's like an employment agent in every one of these stories, practically. Right, because apparently that's really the job you want to have in Old Edo is an employment agent. I mean, they they have got their finger on the pulse of everything. They, they do, do everything man. that's going on. I mean, you know, and they just have this station in society. That's very interesting. Um, but she goes in, and a, a woman comes up and says that the employment agent is sick. Right, and so. She starts having this really weird conversation. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those, oh, well, you know, you don't want to make the same mistakes I made. It sounds like your guy is just trying to turn you into a whore. Right. Is more or less the... Which is exactly what happened to me. Yeah. Well, back when I was your age, I fell for a man who gave me, gave me presents and told me to all the right things blah 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 and it is the same stuff that is being happened that's happening to our heroine correct she's being gaslit right and she just tells her you know she keeps trying to get out of this place because she she's hearing the things that she doesn't want to hear right um and so and she's, she's getting a little pissy about it but then it starts to go and starts to rain. Starts to rain. The autumn rains. And so the lady comes in, comes comes out from behind the counter and stands up to the door and she's like, Let me tell you a creepy story. <laughs> and then at this point you notice that her breath she has like a metallic odor about her. Right. 
And then she launches into the story about when she was a lass. After she had put her past behind her, she's working for um, a family out in the boondocks. Um, when, when Edo had claimed um, a bunch of land for use, but it was rice paddies. Right. So it was farmland, and there was like maybe one or two uh, clans that had property out there, but it certainly was a lot less densely populated than the city center. Right. So right. she's working for one of these um, one of these operations as a as a housemate. And the the old the old master there um, is on his last legs, and he likes to ramble on about how sometimes in the garden he sees an oni, mm-hmm. and nobody believes it. You know, oh, it's just him being him. It's an right. old doddering fool. But um, at one point, she ends up going out to the gardens um, during an autumn rain, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, after after the rain, she believes she sees the Oni reflected in the water. Yep. And that spooks her and she runs away. Right. Well, come to find out, a couple days later, she's visited by the thief taker and his men to tell her that um, the employment agent had been murdered. You know, and and we know you were there, you know, a few days ago. What did you see? And he's like, well, there was a woman there. His wife. His wife. And they were like, he had no wife. He wasn't married. Right. And it turns out the police believe that this woman was involved in um, the murder and robbery of this employment agent. Uh, She was the lookout. Her job was to keep people busy, turn people away, while the rest of the gang was uh, had killed the employment agent and was ransacking the house for, for loot. Right. And she turns around. She says, well, you know, that's, you know, relays the story. And they're like, well, wait here. I'm going to go get my boss and, you know, you'll like him. He's an okay guy. Oh. Uh, and he's going to ask you a few follow-up questions, see if we can, you know, uncover the mystery of who this person is. He said, "Well, wait. There, she gave me an umbrella because it was raining." She goes and gets the umbrella. They open the umbrella, and there's blood stains all in the inside of the umbrella. And the cops like, "This is blood splatter. She must be the one of the killers." So. They that take the umbrella. That metallic the smell. It was blood. Yes. Must have been. And so the cops go away. They go to get the boss to talk to him about this, and they take the umbrella. And she goes, our heroine is, is scared. And rightly so, because uh, that woman saw her face and yeah. knows where she works. Yep. And she goes over to drink some water. And she has a bit of a revelation that maybe the woman didn't see an Oni during the autumn rain. She just looked down and saw herself. Reflected. As she was. Distorted. And so her man shows up. 
good. Now, it's important to note that before her man shows up, she sees herself as herself. Right. But, mm-hmm. but it gives her this, like, image in her mind because she sees the reflection in the water of the rest of the room right. and herself. And, and it's a there-for-the-grace-of-God moment right. for her, really. Right, and she's almost kind of like, a, wow, I was really lucky. She could have killed me right there. She was standing, like, right next to me. Right, and and now, but now her, her bow comes over with a press and a hairpin. Uh, yeah, they really want to know what your decision is over at the restaurant. Got to make this, got to make this happen. That way we don't have to, like, meet up in secret like this anymore. Yeah, I and mean, he's saying all the right things. Come on, baby. You know you want to. She might have uh, at that point. Now, this is where it gets a little weird because I, I, I think she realizes that he's fucking with her, but she's in love. Right. But this, like the advice of the, the woman who turns out was the murderer keeps echoing in her head. Right. And it's yeah. after the rains and... She looks down into a puddle and she sees her own reflection and standing next to her she sees something misshapen. Yes. And they kind of leave that open and they they really leave it there. She, yeah, she I, the misshapen reflection she just kind of collapses there in the mud and, and that's where the story just it leaves us hanging right, right. there. What is she going to do? Is she going to accept her lot in life? Or is she going to uh, cast caution to the wind and um, allow allow herself to basically become a misshapen monster from circumstance? Yep. yep. Does, does she stay pure or does she become an Oni herself? Right. So, And that's why I don't think it was very supernatural. I think it was more of the, the only was the metaphor for the purity of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would I would say that, and and it's quite possible that both creatures she encountered were oni in a real and literal sense. And well, and then so possible that it's completely metaphorical, right? And and then there's the the you know the that subtlety of translation where in, in Japan, you know, these, these, you had mentioned last week, these beings are real mm-hmm. and the way they're created, they, they don't come from another dimension like demons. They're created through the, your choices in life. Right. So, I mean, people become only because, mm-hmm. because of the way they live their lives. They live their lives horribly. They become over. So, and there's that to consider as well, and that might be a, just something lost in cultural translation, really. Right, right. Yeah, it's something that requires a bit of familiarity. Right, and that's and that's more subtle. Um, you know, that's something that someone who who's reading this in Japan would get more out of. You know, mm-hmm. um, just. That then, then someone like me who has to actually, you know, think about it. <laughs> think about it, maybe even do a little research. 
Right, because it's not it's not um, something that's intrinsic. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I I think we mentioned last week as well. You know that the boundary of spiritual and material isn't as cut and dry. Right. In in the Far East. Right. Um, you know, in in the in the United States, we have that that Grecian tradition of you know the material world and the spiritual world, and really never the twain shall meet. Right. Um, that's that that barrier just doesn't exist in those cultures. Um, you know, the spiritual and the material are are one, uh, rather than than the dualism of the West. And so you have this story that can literally be read both ways, mm-hmm. and not lose anything in 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 the interpretation. Right. What what I, I use the word metaphor because that's really the closest I can come to to describe, you know, it, but but really it's it's part of the whole of the story. You you get that that um, story that's told on the surface. The woman goes to shop, gets warned um, about living her life a certain way, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And you have the deeper story of um, your your decisions physically change your your spirit and your who you are. Mm-hmm. It's like a this this particular story is very much like an onion. You know, there's there's layers and layers and layers that you can look at. Right, which is why it, it's such to me it's such a, a good story because it's not cut and dry. You have to mull over it again and again, and you know, just the fact that the ending is so ambiguous, right, and that you, you it, it makes you want to go back into the, the you know the action of the story mm-hmm. and try and piece together what do you think her her decision is going to be, right. Uh, and with, you know what you want it to be. <laughs> right. You know what you want the story to be because she is a sympathetic character. You want her to say no. Right. But then well, again, I mean, she is definitely fully capable of fooling herself and right. saying, but I'm different. It's not going to happen to me. Right. Um, you know, and speaking of the ambiguous ending and, and things left unsaid... The final two stories in the collection are all about that. Um, in fact, you know the next the next one on the list is Ash Kagura, um, and this is a this is a story. This is a weird tale, you know, that exemplifies the weird tale at its best. Yeah, this is up there with like with uh, Ash and Smith, HP and Robert E. and all those guys. Right. This is. This is the story of a thief taker who is called early, early in the morning to come investigate an assault that took place at one of the shops. I guess we should say that a thief taker is kind of like a uh, private investigator bounty hunter outside of the constabulatory. Right. Works works in, in conjunction with, but also outside of the purview. Yeah. So it's it's like the uh, the classic prize Marlowe or Sam Spade or something like that person who gets certain things done um, that is a, a criminal activity, but also since they're not directly tied as a government official, 
they can do things on the down low. Right. So in, in a lot of ways, this is the He's guy. Who, he he kind of gets he kind of gets called like Sam Spade in the Maltese Falcon. You know, it's like, well, we don't want any type of official involvement in this, and we want to keep the narrative really tight. Right. So in in that, it's kind of uh, there's a Chinatown element too. Yeah. So he, he's called because there's been an assault at um at a shop. One one of the um, workers has assaulted the uh, the owner's brother. Right, right. The the youngest, the third born child. So really, not anybody important in the family. Right, but still of the family. But still of the family. Little brother. Um, and he gets there, and he's like, "We'd like you to you know, keep this on the hush hush, and let's come up with what happened here." So he goes in and talks with the the. The little brother who's laying in bed, he's got some like superficial wounds, you know, and basically says this you know, person was, you know, I woke up, this person was standing on top of me, cutting into me with a knife. Um, now, I don't know about you, but my first impression when, when, and it was panned out in the narrative, was how do you get superficial wounds when you're just basically woken up and surprised? Right, and it's like several. Yeah, like an attempt at cutting his throat, but not quite. You would think there'd be at least one or two real gashes before you had the presence of mind to start fighting back. Well, they also mentioned that the weapon used was a vegetable knife, right? Which is not really made for. You know, that's true, but I mean, you go into your kitchen and look at what you use to cut vegetables, and it's still. Yeah, it's still a sharp um, Every horror movie you've ever watched, you know, you go in there and you grab a fucking knife. Yeah, I mean, my kitchen knife is like you know, a mini machete. Right. Right. Well, I, that's that's more your your meat cutting knife than your general purpose cutting knife. Anybody who's who's chef is very particular about what knife does what. Um, I use the clean one. The clean one. The clean one and the sharp one. And chefs listening to this go, no! There are no chefs that listen to this. <laughs> uh, so then the thief taker goes out to speak with the the housemaid, the young housemaid who... The cool thing about this is the thief taker is asking questions, and it's a dynamic part of the story. Right. So right, he, because he's he's asking questions and he's piecing together a theory inside his head as he's running along. Right. And he's also trying to come up with a way to spin it so that, you know, he doesn't have to involve the cops. Right. So he, he's, he's damage control. Right. So he goes out to talk to the housemaid who they've got bound and gagged in like a shed. <laughs> Shove wedged between piles of boxes. Right. Like you do. <laughs> They're very thorough. Right. Oh, yeah. They had her trust up good. And she, we don't get out of there. We're... And when he goes to try to answer a question, she tries to, like, rah, attack him. Yeah, she, she tries to fight him, and she, he's got. I know she's gagged. He's got her saliva all over him. I was thinking, ooh. What trope is this? <laughs> he tries to bite his fingers off. Yeah, what, what, where have I seen this before? And so they summon the doctor. 
He's like, oh, well, I hope the doctor's discreet. Turns out the doctor's not very discreet. No, he shouts. He shouts when he talks. He has stage whispers. Hey, you know, he's like, he's like <laughs> Malcolm. Trying, so, what do you think's going on? Well, I think that it could be. So, someone got stabbed, huh? <laughs> And it's one of those it's one of those types of houses where they're not apart from everybody else. They're in the neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> and and they're trying to keep everything quiet. I mean, they even notice they they tell you that it was next door to a an, another shop that it caught fire, a, a noodle shop. That it caught fire and the flames actually like burned right. right of the house. So it's like a, you know, it's like a strip mall. Right. And and it's like Dude, what the fuck? Why are you talking like that? Which is kind of which is which kind of breaks the tension a little bit when you think about you know this this doctor going, hey, yeah, well, somebody got stabbed, huh? Let's go see the person who did the stabbing. Let's put some band aids on that shit, and then we'll uh, have some tea. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> And stuff like that. I mean, that's that's pretty much how the doctor was. So he goes out and he's talking. He's trying to talk to the doctor about the young lady. He talked about the reaction. He's like, "Oh, you think she's got rabies, does she?" Wait, wait a minute, rabies, saliva biting rabies. This is how outbreaks start. That's my line of thinking. Mm-hmm. I honestly, at this point, thought, "Oh, we're going to have a." A nice little zombie outbreak in old Edo. Well, I kind of had the other, the opposite impression, the one that was actually alluded to in the story. Um, just, just because. So the doctor comes up and he's like, "Look, I'm a doc. I'm a doctor. I'm gonna Damn check it, you out. <laughs> I'm gonna take this uh, gag off of you. You gotta be quiet." <laughs> And so he does, and she's quiet, and she begins to cry. Because she doesn't really realize what's happening. And he's like, you know, and the thief taker's like, look, you got to tell me what's going on here so we can work this out. I mean, you know. And he basically says you're going to hang anyway. Right. I mean. <laughs> your head will decorate the prison wall. Yeah, on a, yeah, your head on a spike. Um. And she starts crying because she realizes, you know, that some this is awful. Apparently, she has some awareness of what's going on. Yeah, and she's a nobody, and she attacked the the brother of the owner, mm-hmm. who so, maybe a nobody, but he's more of a somebody than she is. Right. And then the thief taker goes to leave. He's like, "Look, you know, we're pretty much done here. We'll come up with a story, and and we'll get the cops in here, and they'll take care of it." And, That'll be that. That'll be that. And then the lady turns around and says, you've killed a man. And he stops. like, what? And then she coughs out a bunch of ash and dies. There goes my zombie theory. Right. Now, of course, this kind of uh, puzzles our thief taker. And he goes home for a little bit because, you know, he's got he's to think it over what's going on. Because this story has gone from just 
you know, somebody going crazy and then trying to stab somebody to, you know, wait, wait, this is weird shit going on, you know, because, yeah, before I became a thief taker, I did kill somebody. Well, and the, and the doctor also kind of gets cool at this point, too, <laughs> where the, the, the doctor's like, um, I mean, he basically realizes that she ju- that she just accused the thief taker of murder. Right. And looks at him and says, it's it's cool. I didn't hear anything about any murders. I didn't hear anything about any murders. Yeah. You're okay with me, John Smith of 3216 <laughs> Main Street. <laughs> the doctor is the worst person to have when you wanted to do something discreet. He really is. Yeah, but he's not going to turn the guy in. So he talks to the doctor again, and he's like, okay, so do you know of any type of illnesses that could cause a person to, like, cough out ash? He's like, nope, never seen anything like it before. And I didn't hear anything about any murders. (laughs) Definitely didn't hear anything about any murders, Mr. Johnson. (laughs) Um... Well, you come to find out that um, the the maid, the, the woman who did the stabbing, from her roommate, uh, they had a, a brazier in their room because it's winter. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were allowed these to heat the heat their apartments. They had to pay for it themselves. They had to supply their own fuel. Right, which but, apparently is, is was unusual. It was like, you actually let them have a brazier in their room? Right. Well, yeah, they get cold. Isn't that the right thing to do? It's fucking cold. So he goes to examine the brazier, and the consistency of the ash is the same as the ash that she uh, coughed out when she died. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that um, she had been staring into the brazier and pouring water on it to make the uh, ash dance, Mm -hmm. which is the name of of the... story. Right. right. Ash uh, Kagura is kind of a uh, devotional dance. Yep. And she would stare at the patterns the smoke and ash would make as they came out of the the brazier. And she only, she did it for two nights and then this event occurred. So yes, the uh, them to bring the let, let let me take the brazier and they're like oh yeah, I'll oh, yeah. Get shit it's yours. <laughs> take the murder weapon <laughs> um and he goes home and he's like well i wonder wonder what the wonder what she was looking at and you know like any good curiosity detective uh character he lights a fire in the brazier and proceeds to pour some water on it to look at the. Um, but he has his wife. Know? He has his wife there with him. Right, and his wife is like supremely cool. And he's cool like, too. he's like, at this point, he t- basically turns into Crawford Killing Guest. Mm-hmm. I have to know. Start so, the start the ash resonator. His his wife his wife is pretty genre savvy herself. She goes around. She turns on every damn light in the house. <laughs> she, she opens all the windows, puts on the exhaust fan. Right. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> "Now you're." I've seen well this movie related. before. 
<laughs> I've I've seen this Kabuki before. Right. And he does it. He watches. He's like, yeah, that's kind of cool. But not. Oh well, let me get drunk. Yeah, not all that interesting. Some sake would really hit the spot right now. Right. So, and that's pretty much the way that it the the extent of his investment. Um, until until he's sitting there drinking his sake, like you do, until he sees a figure run past the door. It's real quick. Skeletal form with a white kimono that's too small for them. And he's like, you know what? I'm a thief taker. Because I've been trying to keep things quiet, I've he's accumulated a number of items that you probably don't really want to be laying around in your house in a world where ghosts and demons and stuff like that are everyday occurrences. Like knives used to stab people, ropes from where they hung themselves, and things like this. So he has he has a contact who helps get rid of this shit for him. <laughs> and he decides that, you know... He's a priest. <laughs> right, he's a priest. So you take it to the priest. I mean, but like, you had mentioned like this is a weird, uh, total straight-up weird tale. And yeah, man, that's like the kind of shit that happens in there. I know, I know a guy. He's a priest. I know a guy. He's a priest. and But, you know, the, the thief-taker in this story is rather genre-savvy himself. And he only lets this shit happen once. Yeah. He, he sees this form and he's like, you know what? I ain't taking any chances. I'm going to see this priest first thing in the fucking morning. Okay. And I'm going to, and actually, I'm going to pack it up right now, get ready to go. And by the time I go, it'll be dawn and there, we're, we're heading out. So he takes it to the priest and says, yeah, yeah, we'll do the, the usual thing we do for you. We'll, uh, We'll set it up, do a purification ritual, and then we'll put it in, you know, in our collection of oddities that we we're have. Top men. Yeah, we'll put our top men on it. But we're top men. Yes. And so everything calms down at the thief taker's house, and he goes back to the priest later and says, "Hey, uh, so whatever happened with that uh, brazier that I brought in?" And he tells the story. He's like, well, you know, I, yeah, we had the brazier here, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and there was a figure standing with its back to me by the bed, white kimono, too small for him, skeletal frame, messy black hair. Yeah, no biggie. <laughs> it's like this priest is used to this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's that's the one thing that sets it apart from a lot of a lot of weird tales. Is that these these folks involved, right? Whether it's the thief taker's wife, the thief taker himself, or the priest, it's like you know they're a completely no nonsense about this. Yeah, it's like a Delta Green scenario. They're ready. To, they're not only they're ready to believe you, but they're ready to deal with the shit. Too. Right. It's like a Delta Green scenario with less alcohol and spousal abuse. Well, they hey, you had the sake. Yeah, but they they only had like a cup. They didn't. They weren't getting sloshed. Slash enough to see the, the skeletal figure and like decide time to go. And and really it ends on that note that you know the priest sees the ghost thing, 
does his thing, and that and the story ends. Well, right no, there. he got paid. Oh yeah, he got the paid. Peacemaker got paid and got paid twice as much for doing such a discreet job, and took the the extra money and gave it right to the priest. Yep. <laughs> and then burned the letter and scattered the ashes. No, burned the letter and dumped the ashes down the toilet. <laughs> and and what makes this story so great is 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 not just the fact that you know you have these characters who just take it all in stride, very professional, but they ne- they there is no explanation of what happened here. It was a secondhand brazier that the housemaid bought, and she had it in the room because that's all she could afford to keep her self warm and her, her roommate that bit her in the ass and apparently it bit her in the ass because there was more to it than that because people's spirits get attached to items right and so but at least it leaves it up to you to speculate the story behind how the brazier became the haunted brazier right it leaves you to speculate about the, how we got the haunted brazier it also speculates as to what happened with the housemaid you know did the spirit of the brazier possess her? Right. Um, you know, which is basically the the reaction that she gave while she was trussed up in the shed. You know, you you thought zombies, I, I thought possession. Um but yeah, all most of this story is left unspoken. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that makes this story so good. Yeah, it makes it work really well. I don't know if it would work um, if you had explanations. No, um, it would. It would. I think it would lose that quality that makes it special. I, I think you're right. I think you're right that it, that if they're you know they went back and you know did the you know some past a library use role or something and did their homework and come up with the reason why this thing was haunted. Yeah, it just wouldn't have the same impact as, you know, the ghost just walking right past the door after you do the thing with the uh, Ash Kagura. Right. And, yeah, and that's, and that, I, I wouldn't change a thing, to tell you the truth. And, honestly, I think people need to try to write more stories in this vein that that leave the supernatural elements mysterious and not necessarily and, and just strange right it wasn't ambiguous because i mean you know it, you definitely had boop, 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 boop. right and there's definitely something of the supernatural bent going on and but you had a person with enough sense to take care of it right away right and but I think the this is the you know, more stories need to be written in this vein, where where the reader pieces together a lot of stuff rather than everything being laid out. Right. You know, I saw something undescribable. Forty-seven word adjective laden description of the undescribable thing. <laughs> The final story in the book is uh, Muscle Mound. Is that correct, Steve? The Muscle Mound. The and Muscle it's, Mound. It's the food or the, you know, the mollusk. Right. Not right. the, uh, 
not 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 the, not the good you know who else likes to read apparitions of old edo my mom That'd be Muscle Man. Muscle Man. From uh, what regular is that? Show. Regular show. Yeah. Right. <laughs> now this story is also extremely vague. You don't know what's going on exactly. Yeah. Um, is there is a very creepy element going on? There really there is, and it's. You know, it, it's one of those on the surface, you're just going, it's a story about a guy who's a, uh, surprisingly enough, he's an employment agent. Mm -hmm. um, this is the actual protagonist of the story is the actual employment agent this right. time. Um, and he inherited his position from his father who died uh, five years ago. Mm -hmm. And his father was extremely successful. And uh, he was a bit of a, uh, a rebel in his youth, this, this guy. Um, right. And he had come back because his father was dying. Came back to pay his respects for, to his father and uh, repented his evil ways. And, right. The prodigal son returned. Right. And became a, uh, an upstanding member of the community. Mm -hmm. um, um, and so what, what happens is, is he's buying, the, the protagonist is buying muscles for a friend of his father who is now on his deathbed. Right. Now, um, these are the, the, the greatest muscles, the best muscles. The best muscles you have because they add, they eat rice that has fallen from the boats that come in to uh, deliver rice to a, there's a, like a storage facility in right. this town. Now, we must also point out that the protagonist's name, the first um, kanji that makes up his name is the same kanji used for rice. So they call him Mr. Rice. Yes. Mr. Rice. Mr. Rice goes to visit the friend of his father. His, friend of his, fa his father and, and the other old man uh, used to play Go together a lot. Right. Um, and once his father died, he tried to keep the tradition going. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm giving up the game because... You know, no one's as good as your dad was. No one's Art. as good as your dad was. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> you don't know any. You're a bum. You don't know anything about Go. <laughs> and while he's sitting there, he's telling. He starts telling a story. He's like, "Your father died before he told you this." Story. Right. So he he goes back to visit his father's Go buddy, who is now he's dying, and uh, his Go buddy decides to open up to him. Right. And after five years of treating him like uh, you know ass wipings. He's finally opening up to him and saying, oh, you're not such a bad kid. Let me tell you something strange. And it turns out that Mr. Rice's father had come to his go partner uh, talking about people who would come into his agency with the same face. Oh, what? Like, you mean the same guy? Like, you give him a job, he loses his job, he comes back to you? He's like, no. I get a guy a job. Ten years later, another guy with a different name, a different history, different address comes in with the exact same face. Same face, same mannerisms, same way of speaking. Yep. And he's like, no, that's not possible. That's not possible. And it's not just one guy. Right. It's not just one guy. It's several people have done this over yeah. the years. 
And it turns out that one of the employees of the Go Partner is one of these people. He's worked for him three times. Yep. Over the years. Over like a 60 year period. Mm-hmm. Or maybe like a 50 year period. Like 30 years, I think. Okay. Um, and prior to his employment, current employment. Um, and he's like, it's the strangest thing. You're not going to believe me. But yeah, that guy over there who come, he came by to visit me. I don't know why he would come by to visit me. You know, technically he's only been here a couple of months. I don't know the dude, but I know the dude. Right. And now this is the guy that our Mr. Rice had recently gotten to replace the go partner. Right. Because they knew that he was going to die. So the master wanted to hire somebody to be head clerk. Mm-hmm. So and he was qualified. It wasn't like he 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 wasn't qualified. He, he, right, and he's a good employee and an upstanding member of the of the group. And accepted, you know, I know his face. I've seen it three times over my life. Right. And now the uh, the Mr. Rice is warned. You're going to see this. You've only been doing this for five years, but they come to the same employment agencies because they go to the places they know they can get jobs. Right. Because, they, they are loyal because, customers. Because, and he says, he goes, it's got to suck to live forever. Right. <laughs> You've got a life of unending misery. Mm-hmm. So the best thing to do is just to ignore it. And I, the best advice I can give you for this is just pretend you don't notice it and just get them their job and let them go about their lives. And when they come back, just do it all over again. Yep, don't mention anything. You never saw them before in your life. But Mr. Rice can't really get that out of his head. No. No. So the co-partner, he dies. He dies. He, uh, it's, uh, you know, and he's supposed to die. He's got, um, what's got, some, like, gout or something. Uh, dropsy. Drops, which is your fluid collecting in your legs. Mm-hmm. Horrible way to go. Now, once the go partner dies, they call the doctor from the previous story and go, "Ah, oh, you were killed by immortal guys, right?" <laughs> More or less. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, oh, the, the way that you could tell these immortal guys is they cast no shadow. That's the thing. They cast no shadow, and that is noticed. And uh, so Rice runs into uh, the guy he hired, Rukotaru. Mm-hmm. And it's at the funeral, correct? Yes. Yeah, at the he's funeral. Working, he's working the door. And uh, he notices that Rukotaru has no shadow. And he can't help but not to, like, he can't help but not ignore it. Yeah. And so... Then you find out that uh, the Go partner, whose name was uh, Matsube, mm-hmm. he died with a uh, his face twisted in torment. Right. Now, they say dropsy is a frightening thing, but shouldn't be dying like that. Right. 
So Mr. Rice, you know, does his thing at the funeral, goes home. Starts asking questions. Mr. Rice disappeared one day to be found later near the docks. Mutilated. Mutilated. So torn up, they couldn't even tell how he died. Yep. Um, but then there was graffiti about the muscles. Right. That, Rice. This is the irony part because his name was Mr. Rice. And he died at the docks with the mussels that eat rice. Mm-hmm. So uh, they thought that because he was such a great customer and had an appetite for these mussels, that the muscle that the spirit... Muscles, right, the mussels had a grudge, and that grudge manifested and killed him. Yes, and the, the, the um, graffiti said, The terror of the mussels of Akura, who eat rice, with a capital R, which would be the kanji of his name, and avenge... Right. <laughs> Nothing suspicious about that at all. No, not at all. Um, yeah, and it's basically they build a shrine and they worship the the muscles for a little while and you know, to appease those spirits. So, and you know, because hell, they're known for these particular muscles, and it's these like, muscles you know, bring in some money to the fish serious mongers. money to the fishmongers, and when. The dude was found dead in the graffiti about the mussels who eat rice, ate rice. The price just kind of went. Yeah, who wants to eat the cursed rice? The right. cursed mussels. Right. Who wants to eat the cursed flesh-eating mussels? You know who wants to eat the cursed flesh-eating mussels? My mom! <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, that'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm leaving that in. Uh, so, the the mussels, you know, eventually the rice storage place closes. They shut it down, and 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 the, the those mussels go back to tasting like every other mussel. Yeah, regular old mussels. Right, and and life returns to normal in in this town. Or does it? Or does it? Dun, dun, dun. But it's kind of an interesting way to. To end the book, where this horrific thing happens, and then it's just kind of forgotten over the years, and everything just goes. Well, right because anybody who has any inkling of what's going on, there's got to be more people right. who, who know that there are these immortals that uh, reinvent themselves every ten years, um, and know exactly what happened. All those people are keeping their mouths shut. Right. <clears throat> So the town is, in, in some ways, this town is kind of like a Silent Hill type of thing where right. there's creepy shit going on and, you know, people just, like, ignore it. Completely yeah. ignore it because if you don't ignore it, you end up like Mr. Rice. Right. And, you know, and just like uh, the Go partner, you know, he spoke to Mr. Rice about it, so he ended up getting killed by these guys. Yeah, and, and it's an interesting... If he was going to die anyway. Um, it's a, It's an interesting take on this trope because we've all seen this before in, in vampire stories. Mm-hmm. Um, shit, Highlander. Right. I mean, you have a well-established trope in, these, in horror stories of immortals beings of reinventing themselves, coming back as their, as their sons and daughters right. um, to avoid repercussions from 
the pitchfork and torch crowd. And and possibly going to great extent to hide their identity. Right. Which would include murder. Right. And it's it's the cool thing about this is are they vampires? You don't know. Doesn't matter. Yeah. What what kind of creature are they? Yeah, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> because all you need to know is they're willing to go to extreme lengths to protect their privacy. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the horror in this in this story. Is is that not like what they do? Who they are? They could be just regular old people who just happen to live forever and don't want to be bothered about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because I mean, hell, if you're an immortal, one of the things that humans want the most is to become immortal themselves. Yep. Be bothered every day. Uh, yeah. How'd you do it? How'd you do it? Can you do it to me? Can you can you tell me how to do it? And then there's going to be the people who will just sneak up on them and stab them for no reason because you know. There's, Abominations. There's dicks like that. Right. <laughs> Abomination cannot be suffered to live. <laughs> Stab. Yeah. And you don't even know if that would even work. I mean, that's how that's how mysterious these beings are. Right. You know, it's most mostly what they want to do is live a normal life. But there's something there that is not normal. And it totally is li- living a normal life. They're going to employment agencies to work at kimono shops. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's not like they're living it up. Right. They're not using it up. The... They're not trying to like become these like huge. They're not trying to elevate themselves in society or anything. Right. They don't have to like the emperor. Or the they showman. don't have the peasantry enthralled to them. <laughs> no, they're shit. They're working fucking blue collar jobs. Yeah. You know. And that, that's what makes it interesting. And, yeah, so it was a great way to close out the book. Yep. Um, so, yeah, Apparitions, Ghosts of Old Edo. Pick you, can it up. you can get it on uh, You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on iTunes. Um, there's print copies available um, all, all over the place. You can get it at your local bookstore. Please do. Yep. Um, or, you know, get your local library to get a copy of it because it's well worth the read. Yeah, I like um, Yukimi Abi a lot. I've read a couple of her, her books. Mm-hmm. Um, she writes young adult sword and sorcery fantasy. Right on. Anything particular you want to recommend? Uh, Brave Story. It's very long, but it reads really quickly, and it's very good. Um so get a copy of that as well. That, that's what I would recommend. Very good. Very good. So until next time, good night, Gracie. Good night, Gravy. 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 Gravy.